This is a download from Ormskirk Christadelphians of one of our Sunday afternoon talks. A video of the talk is also available along with more downloads on our website, ormskirkchristadelphians.org.uk. If you'd like to join us in person, our talks take place at our meeting room on Moorgate in Ormskirk every Sunday at 1.45pm. We hope you enjoy the talk. Good afternoon. We are going to consider the subject of new heavens and a new earth, which is a fairly well-known quotation from the Bible. But, but first of all, I want to introduce you to a couple of phrases uh, of my own, which I've uh, put on here just to get us thinking. Here's the first one. When it is dark, something bright attracts your attention. There is the uh, quotation uh, of mine in Farsi and in Macedonian, for reasons we'll come to. Uh, And then the other quote is the other way around. When it's light, something dark is more obvious. It's a bit naff, that superimposition of a dark cloud, but you get the point. And so we come to the question of what does the Bible mean when we have that phrase, new heavens and a new earth? It doesn't happen often, uh, it occurring in the Bible, but it's there and it's sort of well known. Let's just think about it. And can I just first of all make the point that in fact it's new heavens with an S on the end. So it's not new heaven as in the sky above us or a different place where God lives. So what is the meaning of this new heavens and a new earth? And as ever with the Bible, if we have a question about what something means, how it should be looked at, then we go to the Bible itself to show us how God uses such a phrase. So, or in this case, an idea. And let me take you to the book of Genesis and to chapter 37, which some of you may click is, of course, to do with the life of Joseph. Joseph, of course, was one of the children of Israel. So we have Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then Abraham's great-grandson, one of them was called Joseph. He had 11 brothers, and there is, of course, uh, a fair knowledge of this man uh, through uh, modern culture rather than through the Bible, perhaps, but nevertheless, here we are. So Joseph was known as a dreamer because there are two specific dreams recorded that he, he experienced. And this is the second of the dreams that's recorded that Joseph had, where his uh, brothers didn't like this because they were told that Joseph, in his dream, saw the sun, the moon, and 11 stars bowing down to him. And the point is that that is not interpreted in a physical way. As soon as it was uh, recounted, his father and his brothers all said, well, they told him off, what about this dream? And and they took it as a a reference to people. And and they said, Jacob said, shall I and your mother, the sun and the moon, and your brothers, the eleven stars, indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? So, the heavenly bodies were taken as symbols 
of people. And as you go through the Bible, uh, and there are a number of examples of this, notable, um, some in the Psalms, some in the prophets, particularly Isaiah, where you see this then developed and applying to nations, people in general. So new heavens and a new earth might, in general parlance, people think, oh, it's, it's, it's a nice newer place, but it also has a reference to the peoples, and in terms of that heavens and earth, the heavens are obviously the things that control what goes on on the earth, so it's seen as, the, if you like, the political sphere and the everyday people. It's, it's, a, it's a metaphor sometimes used like that. Now, I said in my second saying that if there is a, something dark that you witness against a light background, it is even more obvious. <coughs> so, if we are here, as we are now in 2019, and the Bible is still talking about God bringing about new heavens and a new earth... What, what does that mean? Well, what's the comparison with? What, what is the current situation? And obviously, the universe itself, as far as we are concerned, the effects of our planetary system, there may be subtle changes that we, we may occasionally have problems with the activity of the sun disrupting electronic communications. We may occasionally have a little bit of a a flurry in the media when they think a, a comet is getting it or an asteroid is getting a bit too close to Earth. All sorts of fuss goes on. No, it's the scene for mankind that we're talking about. Now, here in the United Kingdom, I have to say that we are very well blessed in general in terms of the situation in our lives. There would be those who would significantly disagree. There were those who particularly would point to the political heavens and say, they're in a mess. But that, I fear, is a very Western and, dare I say, short-sighted or even jaundiced view. As I say, I have the references here in two languages. I choose those because... I know uh, over the last few years I have spoken to people from Iran, hence the Farsi, and I still uh, speak regularly uh, during my visits to people in the now to be known as the, the Republic of North Macedonia, the old uh, Yugo little tip of southern tip of Yugoslavia as was. And while we may feel satisfied to a great extent in terms of our security of life, although there are always worries, I know. In other countries of the world, and these two aren't particularly bad examples compared to some things I could mention, there is political uncertainty, there is economic uncertainty, and that's certainly true in Macedonia. And while you might be concerned at matters, say, like the question of the crime rate around you. We heard a particularly chilling development recently. In fact, when Carol and I were there last month, 
there were posters on lampposts and hoardings and so on of a lady who was reported missing. We've since heard that she was found dead in the main river, minus her two kidneys. And then you get that shocking statistic out of China the other year. I have no idea whether it's right or not. But it was certainly before the era of fake news that there were 10,000 children abducted. Uh, I think this was just in one year. I know it's a big country. In some cases, children snatched from their mother's hands off the street because other people wanted a child they couldn't have. There is no doubt that if you look, you can see very dark aspects <coughs> of the world in which we live. It's not just those two countries um, that have political or economic or social problems, and nor is the example I've given you the only one where the abuse of the lives of other people is a growing, some might say, or better reported problem. From the Bible perspective, of course, there is always the problem which the Bible addresses of sin and death. The Christian faith clearly, clearly states that there is only one man who has beaten sin and death. Uh, the focus of our faith in our Saviour Jesus Christ. Everybody else, however unfortunate their life, however terrible their death, everybody else dies anyway. Now, I'm going to look in particular, for a few moments, at the three chapters where this phrase, new heavens and a new earth, occurs. <coughs> Two are consecutive chapters at the end of the prophet Isaiah, and the other is a reference in the final writing of Jesus' close friend and disciple, the apostle Peter. Let's go, first of all, to the end of the prophecy of Isaiah. If you, want, if you want to look at this, uh, there you are. It's Isaiah, and it's now chapter 65. And this is what God says. Speaking of, in general, man's experience, not just what I've spoken about, but everything, I suppose. The former troubles are forgotten. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind, but be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. And as I have said from this rostrum before, that concept of forever, and it, there is a clue in a particular Hebrew word in the Old Testament which means everlasting, it's talking about the horizon. And over the horizon. That is the concept that God brings before us in his scriptures. God 
has a longer view of things and he tries to convey to his creation what forever means. Always over the horizon. There is something there. And, and a very clear statement in the following chapter. The new heavens and the new earth that I make shall remain. So there you are. Forever they shall remain. So whatever it is that God is promising to do will be a permanent solution to the things that need forgetting, leaving behind no more dark clouds. So that was the prophet Isaiah. Let's have a look now into the New Testament uh, chapter where this phrase also occurs in the second letter of Peter and chapter 3. And Peter introduces it with this reassurance from God. Remember what I said about, apart from Jesus, 100% of humanity ends up dead in the grave. But the Lord is not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. That in itself begs a question, doesn't it? If people die, what, what is the point of this? Well, we'll come to that shortly. But there's a little hint there of something that will change. God doesn't want this to be the case. He doesn't want people to perish. And whatever it is involves this change. Repentance is a change of life, of course. And Peter goes on a few verses later. This is talking of God's ways. According to his promise... We are waiting for, and here's our phrase, new heavens and a new earth. So, so that is what the Apostle Peter is telling the first century followers of Jesus, that what is promised by God and what is now being uh, fulfilled and explained in the work of his son Jesus is that this new era will be this bringing about of a new situation by God, described by the phrase, new heavens and a new earth. New heavens and a new earth. Something that God is promising. A, a promise, of course, has to be carefully understood. And therefore we need to look at the rest of the verse, because actually... Peter doesn't stop there. I was, no, I wasn't naughty. I was deliberately holding back the last few words to make the point. It's not just that we're waiting for a new heavens and a new earth. We're waiting for a new heavens and earth in which righteousness dwells. That's what God says through Peter. Now then, that is what makes the difference. God is promising righteousness. So a promise, of course, means that God has announced his commitment to this process and, of course, to its outcome. Righteousness, well, some might describe that as something that equitable, right, balance, or perhaps absolutely fair. And that's an interesting concept. I'd love to put a, a conference of international lawyers and 
people expert on language and try to get them to resolve an absolute definition relating to this idea of righteousness and absolute fairness. They failed in Paris many, many, many years ago when it came to the question of defining human rights because the problem was this question of fairness and human rights. Eventually you came up against the fact that, well, to give somebody exactly what they deserve could tread on somebody else's toes. How do you, how do you achieve absolute fairness? Well, that's how you do it. You judge it by God's standards. It's not what we think. It's what God thinks. And his understanding of absolute rightness uh, is a fascinating study in the Bible and something we need to come to understand better than just thinking, oh, it's nice level playing field for everybody. Let's go back to my phrases. When it is dark, something bright attracts your attention. So, when things are bad and you can't pretend that this world is altogether good, can you? If there's something really bright ahead, that will grab your attention. Let's stick with the words of the Apostle Peter. This time in his speech, not in his writings. And here we are in the book of the Acts of the Apostles and chapter 3. And this is Peter talking about what the prophets have said. So this is, again, God promising through his prophets and now being quoted by Peter after the death and resurrection of Jesus. You know, God wanted people to come to repentance. Well, well this is what Peter was talking about. Repent, therefore, and turn again, that your sins may be blotted out. What? That's what? Well, ah, times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. And there are two words there that I've highlighted, refreshing and restoring. So here is the hint of something new. Now, those words may ha convey a particular meaning in a particular language. I remember, I still remember clearly the moment when I was told by my fellow Christadelphian and my interpreter on the occasion, who actually intervened in, in my using this verse in another context, to say that in the Macedonian translation of the Bible, the word refreshing has a much stronger meaning than refresh may sound like in English. It's a much more basic, absolute fresh start rather than just, oh, we'll just refresh this. Restoration. Ooh, there's a, an interesting one. Actually, the, the word restoration is, is quite interesting. Um, but the point is that Peter is saying that God spoke this by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago uh, before we go to Isaiah let me uh, just say this idea of refreshing and restoration uh, the, the one about restoring in particular if you go back to the Old Testament 
do you know what? In the first chunk of human history, where does this idea of restoration occur in the Bible? Going back to basics, if you like, where does it occurs in the very start of Genesis when God tells Adam and Eve that because of their sin they will be restored to their original state of dust when they die. Back to where you were originally. And uh, that idea comes again in, in, in the record of Noah's flood when the earth was being uh, revealed again and the waters were restored to their old level and when Noah sent a dove out to the ark to see what, how things were going on out there it returned to him so things going back to where they were is the idea and God had told people about this through his prophets and here's one of them Isaiah <coughs> and, and in, in chapter 2 of Isaiah we have this very clear statement of what God is about God's idea of going back to the start of restoring things of refreshing in a very basic way what's going on on his planet earth is this out of Zion shall go the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem he shall judge between the nations and decide disputes for many people. Now, people, sorry. So, is this at the heart of the problem? The fact that people can't agree. And it needs somebody to make the decision for them. It's God who's going to have to actually intervene and make the decisions. How's it going to happen? And think of that little phrase, that vital phrase that Peter added, in which righteousness dwells. Well, Jeremiah said this, and again, it's part of God's promise. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch... And he shall reign as king and deal wisely. Well, that's all very well and that's nice, isn't it? But this is it. And what, what will this king do? He will execute justice and righteousness in the land. Justice and righteousness from a righteous person reigning for God. A righteous branch bringing righteousness in a land which will be just that's the sort of equitability of level playing field that God is talking about where people obey his laws and where his king a descendant of David easily explained in the New Testament as Jesus who of course was descended from David all sorts of pointers to this he will be the one who will execute justice and righteousness in the land. So, 
The gospel was preached by the apostles. We've seen Peter talking about it and referring back to what the prophets had said. I'm going to go forward a little bit in New Testament history to the time when the Apostle Paul was travelling around Europe preaching. And he engaged with the great philosophical minds of the day in the city of Athens. And it's a chapter on which I've spoken from many platforms in many different ways. It's a a speech which deserves very detailed attention. There are all sorts of little clues in there about how God has organised history before and how it will end up. Let's have a look at chapter 17 and here we are at the almost the end of the chapter. Paul's talking about the fact that people didn't realise that God was God and what he was doing. They had their own ways. Around Paul, of course, was the pagan worship in the, prevalent in the Roman Empire, ideas from all sorts of cultures, uh, and more and more ideas coming up every day. But these people overlooked the fact that God was the creator. Well, God said, actually... That's not going to matter. Forget that. So Paul says, the times of ignorance God overlooked. But rather like a verse at the end of the epistle to the Romans, where the apostle makes clear that now that Jesus has come, it's open season for everybody to know God's plan in Jesus. Now, this is what Paul says in his speech in Athens, he commands all people everywhere to repent. There's that word again, repent, turn your life round. But why does this matter? Why can't we just be satisfied with our lives? Those of us who have a reasonable life. Because A, that's selfish in many ways, and B, it's ignoring God. Not good enough. Why is it that people can't just say, oh, I can cope with this life, yeah, yeah, fine. Because God has commanded people to turn their lives around in his direction. And why? Because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness. All the way back, centuries, to what God said through Isaiah. He was going to dispense the law, the rules, from Zion. There was going to be a king reigning there, said Jeremiah. And Paul says, actually, this man is going to judge the whole world in righteousness. And how is this going to be? By a man whom he has appointed and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead so there is no difficulty in identifying the future judge of the world something that many many people would agree on reading these words Christ will be 
the judge on the day of judgment. But it's not just the day of judgment. It's what God has promised afterwards. Remember all those ideas of forever, everlasting that come in? The new heavens and new earth. A new situation. Not just a, a one-off day of judgment, but now ruling the world in righteousness, as God had promised all down the centuries. And the resurrection of Christ from the dead is the guarantee that God has given us that this will happen. So new heavens and a new earth isn't just a nice idea. In itself, it is a marvellous expression of a level of restoration. It is difficult to comprehend unless you go into a detailed study of what God says about the world that will be in Christ's kingdom for him. But even more than that, this man is going to reign over God's eternal kingdom Having introduced righteousness, it won't go away. Having put the world right, having put the world right, it won't go wrong again. Yes, that is what Christ is going to do. He's going to judge the world in righteousness. Make no mistakes. This is not just a fancy bit of verbal footwork, as we might say, by the Apostle Paul, faced with these eminent philosophers, trying to negotiate his way through a bit of a discussion. This is something that Paul was saying because God wanted him to say it, and God wanted us, all these centuries later, to read those words and to understand that is what is going to happen. And that repentance, turning our lives round to God, is the way to respond to this wonderful news that God will indeed bring about his world in the way he wants to. A couple more quotations this afternoon. Of course, we know that after his death and resurrection, Jesus went to heaven, which is where he is now, with his father, waiting for the right time that God has appointed for that day of judgment to happen and for the world to be put right. But that assurance that came just those few days, as it were, after the resurrection of Christ, that assurance still stands. This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come. So the new heavens and new earth, the new era, the new situation on God's planet earth will be brought about when Jesus returns to the earth. And that should be our response. Not only to repent, to come to Christ and turn our lives round, but to then take heart. Because even if we are living a reasonable life 
and even if we have feelings for and, and, and try to help those in this world who have dark clouds hanging over their lives the dark cloud of death hangs over everybody and so we need to raise our heads from what the world would have us think about do see every day to the things of God and realise that this isn't just a nice phrase it is coming reality and that is what it will bring it will bring our redemption even if we feel reasonably okay at the moment that is what we need and it's not just what we need it's what God has absolutely promised will happen your redemption is drawing near when something is when it is dark something bright attracts your attention I don't know how many more dark days you may experience in your life or, or even it is the darkness of falling asleep and being buried in the ground until Christ comes that will overtake you but the fact is there is something very very bright ahead for us to look forward to the return of Christ the righteousness on this planet when God's kingdom is established and that's something we need to look forward to and pray for every day thank you we hope you enjoyed that talk for more downloads videos information about what we believe and details of our meeting times go to our website ormskirkchristadelphians.org.uk